if we can get back to our seats, we'll make a start. Oh boy, what what am I doing? A sermon on the genealogy. Oh dear. Well, we're a church who are committed to the Word of God. We believe these are God's Word for us, for our instruction and for our good. Um, so it's there for our good. So let's hopefully, it will be that case as we look at this tonight. But I think we need God's help with this, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll help us understand your word. Help us to see what this teaches about you and your son, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you might give us ears that are ready to hear and hearts that are soft to receive. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin today with a question. Have you guys looked into your genealogy? Have you considered those in your ancestry, those who are before you? Anyone looked into that? Some have? Oh, good. Now, anyone find out anything interesting amongst their ancestors? Some have. Any royalty amongst your ancestors? No royal blood amongst us. Oh, there is one. All right. Well, there you go. Someone famous amongst us this evening. How good is that? Well, this past week, I looked into my family tree, my ancestors, and just so you know, this is my surname. So the funny characters on your left, that's the Chinese character of my surname. It's translated in, uh, differently depending on where you live. So if you're in Vietnam, it will be translated as Huynh. Hong Kong, it will be translated as Wong. If you're from China, it will be Huang. Or if you're from, um, what's the one? The Korea. <laughs> Korea, uh, it will be Huang. Okay? All are variants of the same word. And what this surname means, this is my surname, it means yellow, the color yellow. How masculine is that? The color yellow. Well, that's my surname. Now, now apparently, apparently there are about 36 million people around the world with this surname or variants of it. 36 million. That's more than the whole population of Australia. Wow, we're famous. Well, this is my surname. Now, I looked into this, and, and this surname, this name, uh, it is trace, traces back to this, this guy. Uh, this is, he, he was, he's known as the Yellow Emperor. The Yellow Emperor. He's a legendary emperor, uh, uh, a famous emperor, about 4,600 years ago. 4,600 years I'm related to this guy. <laughs> Maybe. Now, I'm not sure what, what you think about this guy, but I think Yvonne's pleased that I don't look too much like this guy. <laughs> I don't know what that's saying. Well, this guy, he bestowed on one of his sons, one of his 24 sons, my surname. Wong or Huynh or the variants of it. So I might be related to this guy. Royal blood in the middle of you guys. But maybe not. Well, today, we're looking at this, Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. The genealogy of Jesus. It spans 2,000 years, three sets of 14 generations. I'm sure you're thinking, what's Matthew doing here? What is Matthew doing to begin his book, 
the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Very important book. With a list of names that are hard to read, people we don't know, what is Matthew doing here? We all know that the Bible is an important book. But why would anyone begin their book this way? What can be more boring? What can be more boring? It's a bit like watching a movie. You take the last 15 minutes or 30 minutes of credits and put it at the beginning. Watch all that first before you see the characters, before you see the action. How boring. And so what's Matthew doing here? Why did he start his book this way? Well, you see, genealogies to us are probably not so important. I mean, I might be related to that yellow emperor. I certainly don't have his wealth, so I don't really care about him anymore. So, so genealogies are not really important to our culture, to us. But you see, if you're a Jewish person, especially a Jewish person in the first century, Genealogies is almost everything. Because a genealogy tells you who you are. It gives you your identity. It tells you which tribe you're from. And so genealogies are very important to a Jewish person. Several hundred years before this, in the time of Ezra, there were a group of people who who claimed to be priests, claimed to be from the tribe of Levi. They were the only tribe that were allowed to be priests. And what happened? Well, in, this, in, in the book of Ezra, these people, they claimed this, but their genealogies were not found. And so they were excluded from the priesthood. So you see how important the genealogy of a Jewish person is so important. It tells you whether you have pure Jewish blood as well. Now, during the time of Jesus, at his birth, the king then, the king of Judea, was King Herod. Now, he was this puppet king that that Rome placed to be uh, in charge of the Jewish people, but he was really just a puppet king. Now, this guy, we, we think, you know, being the king of Judea, you had to be a Jew. But he was really only half a Jew, half Jewish. The other half is uh, being uh, from the um, nation of Edom. So he was a half Edomite, half Jewish. Now, what that meant was that he was excluded from the official genealogies, excluded. He wasn't pure Jewish blood. And so King Herod, he was a powerful king, he was embarrassed by that. And so he sought to have those genealogies destroyed. So, so you get a sense here on how important genealogies are for Jewish people. And that is why Matthew starts his gospel in this way. So what's he trying to tell us here? A whole list of names. Many people we don't know. What's he trying to tell us? We see in the first century, there was a rumor going about, started off by Jews, that Jesus was the illegitimate child of a Roman soldier and Mary. So that was one of the rumors going around, started by Jews. And so Matthew, when he wrote his gospel, he was thinking, that's a rumor going about. I'm writing to quash that rumor. That is not true at all. Jesus was not the illegitimate child of a Roman soldier. But Matthew was also making another statement. Now, I'd like you to have your Bibles open and look at verse 1 with me. Verse 1. Matthew here was making a statement about Jesus. This is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, do you notice what Matthew called Jesus there? He called Jesus the Christ. Now, often many people in our world, and maybe some of us, think 
Christ is his surname. Jesus is his first name. Christ is his surname. And so there's a Mr. and Mrs. Christ somewhere. Well, well, that's not the case, you see. The word Christ is not a surname. It's, in fact, a title, a title used for kings. So the kings of Israel were known as the Christ, a little Christ. Christ just means the anointed one, the chosen one, the chosen one of God. It's the exact same word as the word Messiah. You've probably heard that before. Messiah is in Hebrew. Christ is in Greek. Same word. And so Matthew here is claiming this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. So what good is that for this context? Why did Matthew have to say this? Well, you see, the Jewish people... Uh, living in first century, they have been waiting for the Messiah, their Christ, for hundreds and hundreds of years. They didn't have a king for about 600 years. Their last king is mentioned here in verse 11, Jeconiah, who was exiled to Babylon. That was their last king, about 600 years before this was written. And so they don't have their king. They don't have their Christ. And so they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And now Matthew, writing this genealogy, He's saying, this is the man. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. But you see, Matthew was also saying more than that. He called Jesus the Christ, but he's calling Jesus also the one who is the son of Abraham and the son of David. Now, what's he getting at there? Why pick out these two guys, Abraham and David? What's the purpose of that? Well, you see, in the Old Testament, if you're a Jewish person, they were the two big people in the Old Testament. They're the two that God made big promises to. And so what Matthew was doing here in this genealogy was to say that all those promises to Abraham, those promises to David, well, they are being fulfilled now in this man, the Christ, the Messiah. So you see what Matthew's doing? He's establishing that he's the Christ, he's the king. And he's the one who will fulfill the promises made to Abraham and also to David. And so what were those promises? What were those promises made to Abraham? Well, last year, last six months, in fact, um, of last year, we studied the book of Genesis. So to some of you, this might still be fresh in your minds. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, God picks out this man. And he says this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Out of all the world, God decides on this desert nomad, this nomad, and says all these marvelous blessings from this one man, this one man. The whole world will be blessed from this one man. That was God's promises to Abraham, which was about 2,000 years before this genealogy was written. But how did it look then? What was the context like? Where were these promises while uh, at the time when this was written? Well, you see, the nation of Israel, which was really only half a kingdom now, the tribe of Judah, in fact, they were almost a nobody now. Um, no, no longer any great name, not, certainly not a great nation. They were under the oppression of the Romans. 
They had no king. This promise was nowhere to be seen. They were not a blessing to anyone at all. They were just this insignificant race in Palestine. Promises nowhere to be seen. But yet, in this hopeless situation, Matthew writes this genealogy and says, this is your man, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who will fulfill those promises made to Abraham. Now, what about David? What were the promises made to him? This was the other guy that Matthew picks out. Well, to David in 2 Samuel, in our reading, chapter 7, verse 16, he says, your house. Now, your house is another word for your dynasty. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, do you see what God was promising David there? He was the the first great king of Israel. God was promising David that there will always be a king from your line, from your dynasty. That is a miraculous, almost miraculous promise to make. If you read history, any history of any nation, you have dynasties taking over other dynasties. They come and go. Even if we consider the English uh, monarchy, during the Reformation, you had the, the House of Tudor. And then in the 17th century, who do you have? The House of Stuart and the House of Hanover. And today we've got the House of Windsor. You see, dynasties don't last. But God was saying to David here, your dynasty will go on forever. That is a crazy promise. But then how did that promise look like in the first century? The Jewish person living in Palestine These were the promises made to David. There will always be a king on his throne. But they had no king. It was hopeless, completely hopeless. They were under the rule of this Herod who was half Jewish, who was really under the rule of the Romans. They did not have their own king. Their last king was Jeconiah, who was exiled to Babylon. So it was hopeless. But yet in this hopeless situation, Matthew writes this genealogy and says, This is your king. This is your Messiah, the one you've been waiting for. This is your Christ. Now, what are we to think of this? I hope you're a bit more excited, you know, feeling a bit more Jewish now. What are we to think of this? Well, I suspect that we're thinking, what has this got to do with me? A genealogy 2,000 years ago, written about something that spans 2,000 years, what does that have to do with me? I mean, we might agree with what Matthew says, and we says, okay, good. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews. Well, that's good for the Jews, but not for me. We're Australians, aren't we? We've got our own monarch, Queen Elizabeth II. If you're Danish, you've got your own monarch as well. Uh, was it Queen Margaret II? Or if you're Dutch, well, apparently your queen just abdicated And the heir will take the throne soon. You'll have a new king. So we've got our own monarchs. This guy, this Christ that Matthew claims, he's just the king of the Jews. What does that have to do with me? So what are we to think of this? Well, you see, Matthew's purpose, Matthew's intention here was, yes, to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the king of the Jews. But more than that, More than that, and we'll see that fleshed out as we study the book of Matthew. 
We'll see more of who this Jesus is. And what we'll find out is that Jesus is not just the king of the Jews, but he's the universal king, the king of everyone. Now, if you know the story of when Jesus uh, died on the cross, the sign, the plug above his head, it wasn't just written in Hebrew. It was in Latin as well and Greek. He's the king of everyone. The king of everyone. And that, will, that is what Matthew will get to. And even in the next chapter, we see the story of those magi. They're magi. They were magicians or wise men. They weren't kings. So you know that Carol, we three kings. Well, that's wrong. They weren't kings. They were magi. And so these guys from, from the east, perhaps Persia, around Persia, they came, they had their own king, and what did they do? They worshipped a Jewish king. They brought gifts to a Jewish king. You see, this king, the genealogy that is written about here, is the universal king, the king of everyone. And we'll see more of that as we study the book of Matthew. So now we might ask, okay, he is the king of the Jews, but he's also the universal king. What's so good about that? What's so good about that? Well, we have to look at the promises now. We have to see what's so good about this king, this universal king. What is the promises that he fulfills? And when we consider these promises, we see that these promises were always intended to have universal scope. So let's consider again the promises made to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, what we read before, the highlighted bit, verse 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God says to this one man, this nomad, all nations on earth will be blessed through you. You see, God's intention right at the beginning was to have universal scope for this blessing to impact the whole world. And we see again later in Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. This blessing is elaborated a bit more. God says, through your offspring, he elaborates on it. It's through your offspring, that is your seed, a descendant of yours, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So, so you see how the promises right at the beginning, they had a universal scope. It was always attended for everyone. Always attended for everyone. Now, what about this offspring? Who then is this offspring? So we have this idea of this blessing through, to the world by this offspring. Well, it's not till we get to David that we get to see that this offspring is also a king. Those wonderful promises to Abraham. We find now in the passage to David that this offspring is also a king. And so when this genealogy was written by Matthew, he's showing that this now is your man. This now is the Christ, the Messiah who will bring blessing to the world, universal blessing. And now what are we to see? What is so good about this blessing? We talked about this blessing. It's to everyone, has universal scope. What's so good about it? Well, this will be fleshed out by Matthew as we study Matthew. But we're actually given a few clues in this genealogy. I'm not sure if you notice some strange elements in it. If you have a quick look, I'm not sure if you can pick that up. Give you two seconds to have a look, see if you can pick it up. Some strange elements amongst all those names. Yes, Owen, you got it. <laughs> okay, that's strange. That wasn't what I was thinking about. 
women mentioned. That's right. So this is, hopefully you can see that, but the green, uh, green diagrams, they're the blokes, and the yellow ones, they're the women. There are four women mentioned in this genealogy. Now, that is strange, and I'll tell you why. It's almost unheard of in, a Jew, in Jewish genealogy, and that's because women, women had no legal rights. They could not inherit property. They, what they said in the, uh, uh, what their testimony in the court of law had no bearing at all, and so they weren't included in Jewish genealogy. But here, Matthew includes them. And not only that, if you look at a Jewish prayer book, Jewish men will pray this prayer. Each day they will thank God for not creating them a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. That's the prayer of a Jewish man. But yet here, Matthew, a Jewish man himself, he includes four in the genealogy of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. What is he doing? What is he doing? He's trying to get up the nose of those Jewish leaders. What is he doing? There's no mention of the Jewish patriarch and matriarchs at all. You know, you expect him, if he's going to include women, he should be including Sarah, uh, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, should be including those ladies, those matriarchs, those noble women of the Old Testament. But he includes these four. Scandalous women. Scandalous if you consider their lives. And so what is Matthew doing? Well, you see, this is giving us a hint of what this blessing is about. It's giving us a hint of what this promise is about. But Matthew here was not making a mistake. You see, this is the word of God. It's there to teach us something. It's there for a theological reason. It's to teach us something. Because what do we learn about these women? Well, the first one, Tamar, what was she? She was a Canaanite woman. Now, Canaanite, they, they, a Jewish person is not meant to have any relationship with a Canaanite. But not only that, this, this woman, she posed as a prostitute. And she slept with her father-in-law. And they had twins. Remember that story? We considered that last year. She was a Canaanite prostitute. What about Rahab? Well, Rahab, she was a prostitute as well. From Jericho, a pagan city. Ruth. Well, she was a Moabite. Now, the book of Ruth, she's a, a, a noble person, but she's a Moabite. And Moabites, you see, they were not allowed near the assembly of God. And what about Uriah's wife? Well, that's Bathsheba. She was probably a Hittite as well, just like Uriah himself. He, she was seduced by King David, and she was involved in this adulterous affair. Four scandalous women included in the genealogy of Jesus. What's going on? Well, there are several reasons. One of them is to prepare us for the fifth woman in this story. Who's that fifth one? Mary. Scandalous things surrounding their, their marriage, their birth. Well, it's to prepare us for the scandal of the virgin birth. But there are other reasons. There are other reasons. You see, this tells us something about the blessing that this king brings. And what that tells us is that this blessing includes sinners like these women, prostitutes, adulterers. This blessing that this king brings includes Gentiles, 
people who were on the outside. You see, the blessing that Christ Jesus brings is salvation, is eternal life, is life with God, is a place in heaven. And that's open not just to the Jews, you see. This here anticipates what will happen in the, in the book of Matthew. Because what happens at the end of the book of Matthew, where the disciples were told to make disciples of all nations, it's to go out, not to stick with just the Jews. And so this here gives us a hint of the promise. It's open to sinners, open to Gentiles. And if you think about it, that's what we are. Any Jewish amongst us? None, not even half Jewish? My previous minister here was half Jewish, but not amongst us. You see, we're Gentiles. We're, we're not meant to be near God at all. None of us. All of us sinners. Well, all of us are sinners. Not meant to be near God at all. But we get a hint here on what Jesus will do, what that promise means. It means that the eternal life, salvation, the things with God are open up to people like us. So let's now think of the implications of this. What are the implications of knowing this? We well, see, if Jesus is the king, if he is the Messiah, if he is the Christ, then he needs to be treated as such. We need to revere him, honor him, fear him, and love him. If he is the king, the universal king, that's our attitude towards him. That needs to be our attitude towards him. But it's not the attitude we see in this world, is it? Jesus, you know, don't care about him. Don't even know about him. Jesus, you know, that's just a swear word, isn't it? But we can't be like that, can we? We can't be like that. This is the king of the world, the king of the universe. Now, this is a king who still reigns. Remember that promise made to David that there will be a king on his throne forever. People will think, well, Jesus died. Jesus died in about 30 AD. He's no longer the king. But that's not true, you see. He came back to life and he's reigning now in heaven at the right hand of God. He still reigns. And that's why the promise to David is fulfilled in him. Now, what, are we else, what else are we to see from this? Well, you see, Jesus makes these uh, Matthew makes these claims about Jesus. He will be the one who will bring those promises from Abraham, those promises made to Abraham to us. Eternal life, salvation, life with God, heaven. But what we'll find out is that this will cost this king his life. It costs his life to save Gentiles like us. It costs his life to save sinners like us. Now, I want a king who will be willing to die for me. And this is that king. So how are we to treat this king? We honor him. We love him. We revere him. We fear him. Now, today I started at the beginning with a bit of my genealogy. Now, I may or may not be related to this yellow emperor. doesn't really matter. But this past week, I tried to do a bit of research. So I caught up my grandmother. And I asked her, is there anyone famous in our, in our family line, anyone amongst our ancestors, uh, ancestors who did something great or significant? Well, she told me of this story. Now, this is a story of my uh, great-grand-uncle. So that's my grandfather's uncle. Yep, got that? Grandfather's uncle. 
Well, he was a soldier who fought. He was in his 20s. He fought against uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Okay, so he was in the 40s, fought against them. He was fighting for the nationalists. And this guy, he fought under Chiang Kai-shek. Means something to some of you, I'm sure. Well, they escaped China, went to Taiwan. Now, on this boat to Taiwan, he was terrified. He didn't look like he's going to make it. But he noticed there was this fellow soldier who would read his Bible each night. Now, just think about that. I, I found that quite amazing, quite bizarre. In the 40s, a Chinese soldier reading the Bible. That's crazy. So this guy, this fellow soldier, reading the Bible each night, and so this great-granduncle of mine asked him, what are you doing? And he said, reading the Bible. And from that, eventually he became a Christian, my great-granduncle. He became a Christian. He went to Taiwan, and he eventually became a minister in Taiwan. That's news to me, and I found that really fascinating. But he wrote a letter back to his sister in Vietnam. In Vietnam, so that was where my, fam- uh, my parents were born wrote a letter to his sister, and he said to his sister, you must go to church, just like an older brother with authority, you must go to church. And he said to her, go to an evangelical church. That is a church that believes in the Bible, that teaches the Bible. Don't go to a Roman Catholic church. Don't go to a Jehovah Witness church. Go to an evangelical church. And so that was my great-grand-auntie. She did that. She went to church. She became a Christian. She brought along my grandfather. He became a Christian brought along my father. He became a Christian as well. And I think about this story, and I think, how wonderful is that? They're all Gentiles. All Gentiles. Chinese, we're Gentiles, right? All sinners. But Jesus is the king of each one of those. And when I heard that story, so wonderful, that in my genealogy, Jesus is king of five generations. That generation, my great-granduncle, my grandfather, my father, myself, and my kids. How wonderful is that? And so today I want want to leave you with this question. Is Jesus your king? The king who would die for you, is he your king? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who came as king, who died for us as king, who who now reigns as king. Help us to honor him, to love him, to revere him, and to fear him. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.